If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 198 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we talk with Scott H. Young. Scott is a widely read blogger who is known in particular for some of his remarkable self-education projects. He's also the author of the just-released book, Ultra Learning, Master Hard Skills, Outsmart the Competition, and Accelerate Your Career. Now, Jeff, I know you've been following Scott's writing for many years, so tell us, what did you talk about given the chance to chat with him in real time? Well, it's true. I have indeed been reading Scott's work for many years, and He's just a very thoughtful and prolific writer on a wide range of topics related to learning. And as you noted, he's gained notoriety for some of the learning projects he's taken on, things like completing MIT's four-year computer science curriculum in 12 months. Wow. And we talk about that and some of his other projects as part of the background experience that led to this latest project, which is his new book, Ultra Learning. And as it happens, we were able to line up this episode perfectly so that it's coming out on the very day that Ultra Learning is being officially released. And I had the chance to read a proof of the book, and I definitely recommend it to our listeners, both as a source of inspiration for their own learning, but also as a sort of practical guide to the core principles of effective learning. As you can probably guess from the title, this is a book that is about really pushing learning and our ideas about what we can learn and how fast to the limits. We also discuss how the principles that Scott covers apply to more modest learning initiatives and also how learning businesses can help their learners embrace these principles. Now, Scott is just a He's just a really very easygoing, likable guy, and he shares a number of the great stories from his life and from the book, and I think listeners are just really going to enjoy this one. Well, it sounds like a fascinating listen. Sounds like he's done a lot, and so without further ado, let's roll the interview with Scott H. Young. Hey there, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb, and today I'm joined by Scott H. Young. In many ways, Scott is someone for whom a quick and concise introduction just won't do the trick. But I'll describe him as an avid and committed lifelong learner, a longtime blogger at scotthyoung.com, and author of the new book, Ultra Learning, which is subtitled, Master Hard Skills, Outsmart the Competition, and Accelerate Your Career. All things I'm sure most listeners would like to do for themselves, as well as for the learners that they serve. The book should be out right about the time we release this episode, and I encourage listeners to get it. But in the meantime, we've got the author right here, so let's get going. Scott, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you here. Um, you know, it's exciting that this book is coming out. But but besides that, I've been a longtime reader, a big fan. I really admire uh, what you've done with your blogging and with some of your learning challenges that I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. And I noted Thank that, um, yeah, and, and I, I noted that you kind of defy the usual descriptions. Uh, so <laughs> so I'd like to ask you, you know, how how do you describe yourself and, and the work that you do? Oh, I'm I'm really bad at self promotion. So I got to say that that's that's been a question that has vexed me for 13 years. Is when mm. people say, "What do you do? How do I answer that?" 
I think what I've been saying during these podcasts is that I like to do sort of unusual self-education projects. And so this has been sort of what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, things like I did the MIT Challenge, which was a project to learn MIT's four-year computer science curriculum using just their free online resources, which I did over 12 months. I did another project with a friend, which we called the Year Without English, where we traveled to four countries to learn four different languages. I've done projects to learn portrait drawing, quantum mechanics, all sorts of things like this. And uh, writing this book was not just about documenting some of the things that have worked for me, but also finding this diverse group of what I call ultra learners, who are these people who take on these really sort of intriguing and impressive efforts to get good at something in uh, unusual ways. And so there are people who have much more dramatic and interesting stories than my own that I document in the book. And I wanted to try to pull together some of the principles that go into how they're able to learn and master hard skills quickly so that, you know, people who are listening to this right now can apply those same ideas to their own life, to their own careers, and in the case of this podcast, to the people that they're trying to teach. Well, and I definitely want to get to, you know, some of the stories and the lessons in the book and, and the book in general um, in a minute here, obviously. Um, it's, I've been enjoying reading. It's great material. But but before we even get there, um, I mean, you've said, you know, you've been, you've been writing about this for years. You've been doing all mm -hmm. of these sort of experiments uh, with your own learning. You're obviously incredibly passionate about learning. Um, mm -hmm. what, wh why? What's the source of that? <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because I think I've always been a curious person. I've always liked learning new things. So this has always been something that has intrigued me. But one of the things that really, I think, went from that being a curiosity, which I think many of the people here uh, can also resonate with, to something that, you know, this was an obsession, uh, was really an introduction that was made to me about 10 years ago. So I was, uh, I was a college student and I was doing an exchange in France and I was trying to learn French and it wasn't going super well. I was doing sort of mediocrely in my French class. I think I even got a D on the final exam. And most of the people around me spoke to me in English, mm. including the French ones. And I really was kind of struggling. And I think like a lot of people in that situation, it's easy to say, well, you know, maybe this just isn't enough time or, you know what, actually most people who go on exchange don't learn the language. That was what I found when I interviewed people who had gone on before. So it's easy to just say, you know what, maybe, maybe it's just too hard or maybe I can't do it. And around this time, I was introduced to a guy, the first ultra learner who I sort of encountered meeting uh, in, in the book, I recall, that uh, his name was Benny Lewis. And he sort of become famous now for his fluent in three months projects where he tries to go to a new country and learn a new language from nearly from scratch in as little as three months trying to learn as much as possible. And I was kind of blown away, not just by his results, because he has like videos of him after three months. And you're like, well, that's a lot better than I was doing <laughs> after three months. But also his whole philosophy towards learning, which I think really epitomizes this ultra learning concept of not only taking on the initiative for your own learning efforts. So instead of just passively waiting to be told what to do from, from teachers or from the environment, being active about deciding what you want to learn and how you're going to learn it, 
but then also sort of going a little bit further than most people would, pursuing somewhat more aggressive or intense methods in order to get those results. And one of the recurring patterns I've seen, not only in my own life, but also in the cognitive science, is that very often the effective method for learning does involve a little bit more discomfort, a little bit more frustration. I think our brains are naturally averse to putting in effort that creates learning. And so we often want to switch down to an activity that will be easier, more comforting. And that's a delusion or that's a little bit of a shortcut that you can kind of preserve in your head if you don't really know what works. And so seeing oh, this is the right way to learn things, this is much more effective. Once you've experienced it firsthand, I mean, you just get converted and there's no other way of seeing it. And so for me, it was having that exposure to him and then later trying out my own projects that I think really uh, convinced me that the potential to learn things and to be good at things that seem really hard for you right now is much, much more than most people realize. Well, I think that's it's such a valuable lesson to to learn early in life, and and you started at this pretty young. I mean, you're still a fairly uh, young guy. I think yeah, yeah. I think it took me far far too long to to learn that. I've done a lot with languages myself, and you know, I, I've been on those sorts of exchange programs where yeah, you walk away not really learning anywhere near what you thought you would learn, and just the you know the whole realization that that learning simply does take effort, um, and you have to know that for yourself. And I think for our for our listeners, for our audience, a lot of times they're they're uncomfortable um, making people make an effort, you know, particularly with adult learners. You don't want to push adult learners too hard, um, or they feel like they shouldn't. But but the learning doesn't happen w- without well, that. I just want to weigh in because I think you brought up a really valuable point that a lot of times as educators or as people who have, you know, studied education or studied learning, there is a lot of stuff that people realize as being a teacher, okay, this works, this doesn't work. And so it's very interesting. I've had these conversations with educators after writing the book and they say, you know, they've read through some of the principles that I read in the book and they're like, yeah, yeah, we know this. And I try to convince the students and Mm. they don't want to do it. And so I think for me, writing this book was that this is a book for the student because I think as a learner, if you know, oh, this is how your mind works, this is, if you do this, you will acquire skills. If you do that, you won't. And if you can understand that, you can debug a lot of your own processes. So I think it's just unfortunate that a lot of us don't know how to learn. We haven't learned how to learn. And so we don't even realize we're doing things that aren't very effective. And instead we blame, you know, our intelligence or lack of talent or, or what have you. If you want to gain insight into what's most effective for your learners, we encourage you to check out our sponsor. Authentic Learning Labs is an e-learning company that offers products and services to help improve your current investments in education. One key product is Authentic Analytics, a dedicated suite of visualization reports that help analyze and predict the performance of education programs. Organizations use Authentic Analytics to easily scan through volumes of data in intuitive visuals, chart performance trends, and quickly spot opportunities, issues, and potential future needs. Find out more at leadinglearning.com authentic. And now back to the interview as Jeff asks Scott to talk more about his MIT challenge. Now, I do want to jump back a little bit, though, because you, um, you, sure. you skimmed over something a little bit in, in, in talking about yourself initially. And, and this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is something you write about in the book, but, um, but it's, it's also, I think, the thing that sort of puts you on the, the map for me and I think for a lot mm-hmm. of other people is when you undertook this MIT challenge for yourself. Yeah. Can, can, can you give a little more detail on that for, um, sure, for listeners sure. who may not have heard about you doing that? Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that course, was kind of, of insane course. at a certain level, and it's very impressive. 
Well, well, thank you. Yeah, so what had happened is I had graduated from university and I had majored in business. And I was feeling a little bit like, ah, I don't really, I didn't really, I wasn't in love with the degree that I, I got. And and when I was going into university, I was considering studying computer science. I'd done a little bit of programming in high school. It was something that had always interested me. But of course, you know, when you just graduated, it's like, do you really want to take out another four years? Do you want to take out student loans? Do you want to delay your life just to get some more education? And so around this time, I found uh, classes put on by MIT that were put online for free. So you can even go there now. It's called MIT OpenCourseWare. And they've got like hundreds and hundreds of classes that they've put at least some of the materials online. Some of them are complete, like they'll have lectures and assignments and exams and solutions. Some of them are incomplete. They only have some of it. And at the time I was looking through this and looking through these resources, this seemed like the perfect alternative because I already have a degree. I don't really want to go back to school. And as I was playing around with it, I realized that there's a lot of assumptions baked into how we think about going through school that are there either because of convenience or because of the student. And they're not necessary they're not necessarily something that you have to follow when you're going through it. So one example that I bring up a lot, I don't want to say this is the only thing that matters for doing something like this well, but if you are in a classroom sitting in lectures, you have to listen to the whole thing. And if anyone knows from sitting in lectures, you often have your mind wandering, you stop paying attention, there's that boring preamble, there's the waiting for the professor to start talking, there's getting to and from the class. There's a lot of inefficiency there. Whereas if you're watching a lecture video, uh, you could even watch it at 1.5 times the speed. And I've, I've said that to people and sometimes people scoff at that. But a lot of people I know listen to podcasts at 1.5 times the speed. You yeah, actually I, very I do that, yeah. quickly, yeah, you very quickly get used to listening to it at a faster speed. It's totally possible to listen to my voice at, you know, 1.5 times the speed. For some speakers, even two times the speed if they speak particularly slowly. And so you can do that. And then suddenly what is an hour and 15 minute lecture, maybe you're getting through in 45 minutes. And if it's you're getting through it in 45 five minutes, well, maybe there's some parts that you didn't understand, but you can always rewatch them. So that also takes some of the pressure off of note taking where you don't have to transcribe things verbatim. You can just, you know, try to understand the lecture and, and piece things together as you go back. And so there's tons of these little things that come together. And, and this sort of came as kind of a notion in my head. I was like, well, what if I tried to simplify the degree? So that instead of doing every little thing that you'd have to do for a degree, the focus was, could you pass the final exams? And then later I added on programming projects for the classes that had them. And this was sort of the kind of skeleton of an MIT degree, but, you know, pursued in a rather unconventional way. You know, no credit, obviously, just the the knowledge that you gain. But uh, this was sort of the first big ultra learning project I did. And it probably is still my my most popular one today. This is the one that people probably know me most for. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, there was a lot of assumptions about how you do school. And so my feeling now, uh, you know, this is about eight years later going through that project. I wouldn't say that every single individual listening to this right now could necessarily do exactly that project and have success with it. I think it all depends on your different background and strategies and, and also your your um, natural aptitude and this kind of thing. But I definitely feel like the assumption that school has to take place over four years or that it requires doing all of this to get skills that are useful for your professional life is just completely false. And so especially if you you know decide what you want to get out of your learning experience, you can very often go straight for that and avoid a lot of the fluff. If you want a learning platform that will help your learners get past the fluff and go straight for the most relevant content, be sure to check out our sponsor for this quarter, 
Com Partners helps learning businesses conceive, develop, and fulfill their online education strategy. Their solutions begin with Elevate LMS, an award-winning learning platform that provides a central knowledge community and drives learner engagement. To extend the value of Elevate, Com Partners provides a wide range of online education services, including curriculum design, instructional design, fully managed webinars, webcasts, live stream programs, and virtual conferences. Find out more at leadinglearning.com slash compartners. And now back to the interview as Jeff asks Scott to say more about what readers can expect from ultra learning. Well, I love having you around as a, you know, walking, talking, living, breathing example of just how much you can do with, with self-directed learning if you're, if you're committed to, to doing it. Um, and that's, that's obviously one story that, that you tell in, in ultra learning the, the, about the MIT challenge, but you cover a lot of other people's uh, stories, other ultra learners. Um, can you, can you tell listeners a bit more about just, you know, what, what to expect from the book? What, what kind of things do you cover in it? Sure. So the bulk of the book is divided into what I call nine principles of ultra learning, which are really kind of principles of learning themselves, although they take on a somewhat a bit different flavor when we're thinking about ultra learners who are pursuing learning kind of from a self-directed standpoint and willing to kind of go to somewhat more extreme methods to get the results. And so the nine principles for me were very important because I think each of them embodies both a lever that you can use to get better results. So if you are not applying it very well right now, if you can make modifications to what you're doing, you can get better results. But they also kind of the opposite of the principles is a common mistake. So two of the ones that I've been bringing up a lot in um, interviews, because I think they have some really interesting scientific research behind them, are what I call directness and Mm. retrieval. So directness is really the kind of converse of what psychologists know is the problem of transfer. Basically, we have known for decades now that if you take people and you put them in a class and get them to study something and then get them to apply it on something that is superficially different but really involves all the stuff that they learn in the class, they often do abysmally. And this is really disappointing because the entire idea of classroom education is that we are teaching our students, our learners, how to perform in the real world, you know, there, and maybe those performing is not necessarily a professional skill, but even if you teach a history class, we would expect someone who's been through that history class to be able to reason about historical events or to have some assumptions about how the world works. And a lot of times these things show um, weaknesses. So some really interesting examples of this in one study, uh, students who took a high school psychology class did no better on a college level psychology class. Uh, in another one, economics majors did no better on questions of economics reasoning than did non-economics majors. And I mean, these are pretty obvious transfer issues. And so a lot of the issues in my mind spring from the fact that we have this metaphor of learning that our brain is like a muscle and it doesn't really matter what you practice on, it's going to make it stronger. And this just doesn't seem to be how the brain works, that what we learn tends to be quite specific, at least in the beginning, before you build up lots and lots of knowledge. And so this means that is a, as an ultra learner or as the principle of directness would uh, suggest, if you can learn with a direct connection to the area you eventually want to apply the skill, you avoid a lot of these problems. Mm. So if you want to learn a language to speak it, you should be practicing conversations much, much earlier than most classes encourage. Or if you want to learn programming and you want to do it because you're going to make a website, you should start making a website rather than just working meticulously through some programming book. And so 
Again, this trade-off I think is very important because very often we settle down for some easier abstracted task or even just classrooms because they don't know all the varied ways people want to use a skill. We'll teach it in a one-size-fits-all level. And so it's up to the learner to kind of tailor that back to the situation they want to use it. So that would be one of the principles. Another principle, which I, again, found really fascinating, the research is retrieval. So Retrieval is the process of summoning up things from your memory as opposed to looking at them. And in one really interesting study conducted by Jeffrey Karpicki, who's done a number of uh, interesting studies on retrieval, and Janelle Blunt, they took students and separated them into different categories. So one of the categories, they got them to do repeated reviews. So that meant that they had a text and they just read it over and over again. And then they had another group. And they asked them to do free recall. So after they finished reading it, they'd shut the book and try to recall as much as they could from memory. And the really interesting twist of this study is they asked the students after they did this, how well did you learn the material? And the interesting thing is that it's the repeated reviewers who said that they learned it the best. They said, you know what, I've got this. But when you actually test them, it's the free recallers, it's the people who practice retrieval that perform much, much better, even though they thought they had learned the material worse. And so I think this is very funny because this kind of points to a cognitive quirk that very often we judge our own learning in ways that are not entirely accurate. And that can lead us to spend tons and tons of time doing learning activities. And then we get to a test or a real usage situation and find out that the knowledge doesn't transfer or the knowledge doesn't apply or it's not even available in memory, and we get really disappointed. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought up retrieval, because I think out of, out of all the things that I've learned about learning over time, you know, to apply to my own learning, finally getting it about retrieval probably made the biggest difference of just about anything I can think of. In fact, I'm I'm going to be delivering a, a keynote in, in a couple of weeks. And um, I mean, just today, I've been in the process of basically engaging in, in retrieval because I, I mean, I basically have to memorize, you know, like an hour long speech and, and be able to get up and, and deliver that. And uh, so going through that process of making myself try to remember, you know, what I was trying to say, where and not just not just reading over the page again and again, which I know isn't going to get it into my memory. And, and, you know, back to your earlier, earlier point about um, learning can be hard, it takes effort. I mean, that, you know, that almost feels like doing pushups or something. It's not it's not pleasant at times, but but it's what's going to pay off uh, in the end. So I'll just add because I think your example of bringing up like doing a keynote is so funny, because I just recently gave a speech and I was giving a speech about the topics in this book telling some personal stories. And uh, it was a big speech and I was rehearsing a lot and my wife happened to come along with me. And so she heard me rehearse this speech probably like four or five times. It was mm. a half hour talk. So she was joking to me when I was giving, she's like, I know your speech down. Like I know everything about it. And she was joking. I could give your speech. Like I know it entirely now. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just teasing her a little bit, but I was like, okay, all right, let's see you do the speech. And so after I did the speech, when we were in the hotel room, she did a little rendition of it and she's like, oh, wow, this is actually really hard. <laughs> and this is, I'm like, this is retrieval in action because yeah. when I was practicing it, I have to rehearse it from memory. Whereas you're just listening to me say it and they are not the same cognitive process. And one of them is linked to really good memory and one of them is not. However, just as it, what happened in the study, almost like, you know, to a word, my wife was convinced that she knew the whole speech because she just heard it on and on and on for like the week that I was practicing it. So I think this is a really interesting point. And your point about um, effort and difficulty, there's even a concept in the retrieval literature uh, by R.A. Bjork known as desirable difficulty, which right. shows that more difficult retrieval results in better memories. So this kind of fits into this ultra learning picture that we're talking about.
Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm waiting for all that retrieval to, to fully pay off. Uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely, you got to you got to do it. What? Well, and I'm I'm in, intrigued. Um, you know, for the, the sake of listeners. I know you, you know, you tried to find some, some commonalities uh, across the, the ultra learners, um, who you, you wrote about. Um, I mean, are these people who kind of just intuitively get the principles that, that you're writing about or, you know, to what extent had they learned to learn to what extent did they just figure it out themselves? What's, what's kind of common across these people who, you know, engaged in ultra learning and were successful at doing it? Yeah. So Obviously, there are people, I think, that understand the learning process well. And so I think Benny Lewis, for instance, clearly understands the language learning process in, in a fair bit of depth. Some of that's probably trial and error. I think he speaks like over 10 languages. And, and so some of that's probably just hard one trial and error, as well as uh, some of the people that I documented, such as Roger Craig is, you know, familiar with spacing research. And that was a big part of his mm. uh, process of getting really good at Jeopardy. Uh, he's a character, for those of you who don't know, he's a character that I, I introduced in the book uh, who had a really incredible story about uh, basically building a website to become really good at Jeopardy. And he become became, I think, the highest single day winner at the time from just sort of like hacking the Jeopardy trivia process. But the the thing about ultra learning in itself is that when we talk about it in, with these really dramatic stories, it can feel kind of unapproachable that this is some mythic people that are doing this. But in having conversations with people who have read through the book, the feeling that I often get is people say, oh, yeah, this is what I was doing when I got good at X. So I had a conversation with James Clear, who wrote the foreword to my book, and he was like, well, I never thought of myself as an ultra learner, but this is exactly what I did to get good at photography. Or I'll talk to someone who says, you know what, when I was learning dance in school, this is how I got really good at it. And the thing I find is that it's not that these principles are so distant, so out of line of how you might have experienced things. I'm not talking about some completely alien method, but rather I'm trying to illustrate what are the principles behind when you have learned something successfully and taught yourself something well versus when you didn't. And I think if you can understand what are those principles, then it's not like it just has to happen by happenstance. You can say, oh, well, if I want to learn X, I know these ingredients need to be in place. And so I can make sure they're in place rather than spend months banging my head against a wall when I don't see progress. And I mean, is that really sort of the, the message for maybe I've called them the, the average learner who, who reads yeah. the book, who maybe isn't going to take on, you know, the, the, the big ultra learning challenges, but just simply wants to be a better learner? Um, is this just a sort of a, a, an ongoing reference for them to go back to and say, you know, am I am I doing these things in, in my learning to be more successful with it? Well, I think my feeling about the book and the kind of hidden message is that I think that we all have the potential to be ultra learners. Now, this doesn't mean that we're all going to become Albert Einstein and win Nobel Prizes and, and accomplish big things. But the message of ultra learning of teaching yourself difficult skills or skills that feel difficult for you right now and learning them well on your own is something that I think is available to all people if they approach it the right way. Mm. And so the idea here is to, first of all, get some confidence because there are probably things in your past that you have learned well. You just maybe weren't aware of why you learned that well. And I think, again, it goes back to a lot of us are very quick to, you know, blame talent or blame, you know, oh, it was a bad teacher or this, when often there there were the ingredients there, they just didn't line up perfectly and they didn't know how to uh, apply them perfectly. And so for me, again, I'm not saying that everyone listening to this is going to want to learn four languages in a year or do the MIT challenge or do something really crazy. 
But that doesn't mean that they can't learn something that matters to them and learn it well and learn it deeply and and do so uh, by applying the right principles. So for me, I, I you know, as much as I have these big stories, I think of smaller ones like um, Diana Faisenfeld, who was this new New Zealand librarian I worked with, who as she was nearing the end of her career was saying, you know what, they don't need librarians anymore. Like there's budget cutbacks and all these kinds of things. But instead of just lying down, she decided, you know what, what we, they de- do need is that there's all this data now. And so she needs to take her librarian skills into the 21st century. And so she actually learned statistical programming and data visualization um, at you know near the end of her career and became quite indispensable and, and being able to do jobs that she couldn't do before. So I think for every, you know, triumphal story that I can talk about, there's many, many more ordinary cases of people just challenging themselves to learn something that feels difficult for them right now and making a change in their career or lives as a result. And I'm glad you mentioned that story because I, I think the, the story about Diana is such a, such a useful, practical one that I, mm-hmm. I think anybody now should take to heart because everybody's job and career is going to change. Uh, you know, they're, they're rapidly changing Absolutely. and you're, you're going to have to figure out how to adapt uh, as those changes happen. And that, that was just a great example of, of somebody who did that. So uh, I'm glad yeah. you shared that. I, I'd love to know about you in this whole process because um, I've, sure. I've, I've written books before, and I know that you know writing a book in and of itself is kind of like an ultra learning project. Um, Very much. I mean, so, what, yeah. what, what what did you learn new in in this process? Well, so it's funny because uh, probably about a year or two before I started writing this book, I had had this idea that I wanted to learn more about cognitive science. I was already doing a lot of um, work on learning, and so I wanted to have kind of a deeper understanding of both you know, this, the psychology behind it, but also cognitive science, generally speaking. And, it, and I'd started by reading some books and stuff, but then it eventually morphed into this project. And so when I knew I was going to write a book about learning, it was like, okay, now is my chance to really dig in deep and explore these subjects to a level of depth that, you know, if I were just casually, I'm not going to just casually print off 23 different journal papers and read them through and try to make sense of, you know, the literature on feedback timing or something like this. So this was really an opportunity for me to to try to dig into the science, especially as someone who's a non-researcher, like I am a learning enthusiast as opposed to a learning expert. And I feel like uh, this was really my opportunity in this book to try to learn as much as I can about how the mind works. And more than just trying to quote a few random studies, I felt like I really wanted to try to get a sense of what is the broader picture being painted by all of this research of how we learn and how our minds work and what are the factors involved so that, you know, when we're thinking about learning methods and stuff, what things make sense and what things kind of fit and jive with that picture. Mm, okay. And before we kind of wrap up talking about ultra learning, um, we, we referenced this a little bit at the beginning of the conversation, but most of the folks who are listening here um, serve lifelong learners uh, and, and, and mostly through providing a pretty traditional continuing education, professional development type experiences. So, you know, an expert standing up in front of the room, delivering the information, knowledge, uh, hoping some of that transfer happens. How would you advise that group, uh, this group of listeners, um, how can they best make use of ultra learning? 
Well, it, only half jokingly. You can tell everyone in the audience to buy my book. No, um, <laughs> uh, they I should. Think, they should I, definitely. <laughs> I think the one of the things that you can do as an educator, if you are aware of these principles of learning and how things work, is that you can become a facilitator for people. I think there's an old expression, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And I think it's very, the same is very much true of learning that you can prevent present someone with resources and materials, but you can't make them learn. That has to be something that mm -hmm. goes on inside the student's mind him or herself. And so for me, what my, what I feel when we are working with students and working with educators is that part of our responsibility is also to say, hey, here's what you would have to do to get good at this. And this is what I'm going to be able to provide you. But this is also what I'm not going to be able to provide you. So for instance, when we're talking about directness, it's like I can give you some of these ideas and I can, you know, follow up with you if you want some feedback on how you can apply it, but recognize that you need to start thinking about how you want to apply this as you're listening, or it's very easily going to just slip out or become kind of inert knowledge. Similarly, with issues of retrieval, if you are teaching students something, say, hey, if you were studying for this course, this is how to study for it. You know, test yourself this way. Don't just read over your notes. And so I think it's kind of unfortunate that at the culture at large, a lot of these findings from educational psychology, they have trickled down to teachers, but much more rarely have they trickled down towards learners. So mm -hmm. that, you know, even for me going through this research and spending tons of time learning this, there were still interesting findings that I wasn't aware of. Whereas as students, you know, they're like the people in the study that I mentioned, that they're off reviewing their notes over and over again and then wondering why their test grades don't improve. And so I think part of our goal as educators should not just be to give people content knowledge, but also to give them the pointers and tools so that they can take that content knowledge and turn it into real world skills. Yeah, I think that's uh, just an important message that um, just generally doesn't get conveyed, at least in my experiences in continuing education and professional development settings. So I think it's something that we do need to be more consistent, more persistent uh, about uh, moving forward. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask, um, you know, in wrapping up the conversation around the book, um, what's 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 next for you? Where are you going to be focusing now that you've, uh, you know, I, I know you're going to be out there obviously promoting the book, but I, yeah. assume, but I assume you probably have some sort of next mountain to climb in mind. Oh, I have I have too many mountains. Like people have been asking me this question, and, and the, the honest truth is, is that like my list of projects I'd like to take on is is so long right now mm. that, that it's just going to be a question of which one comes next and which one fits my schedule. Some of the things that I've wanted to work on, uh, I've wanted to do a project with chess. I've wanted to do one with oil painting, with music, either guitar, or piano. I'd like to do some kind of physical skill, but. I haven't figured out exactly which one I would want to do. I was learning some skiing, but not really ultra learning it. And I've also, um, I have some interest in improving my own professional skills. So my own skills as a, as a writer, for instance, is something that I've been very interested in because a lot of my projects are going from scratch to some level of ability, whereas I think it's also a very interesting thing to explore going to something that you've done for over a decade and how do you get to the next level of ability. Um, you know, and then also all the skills that I've been working on for a while. So I, you know, I finished learning languages after my trip. Uh, but you know, those are still a big part of my life and something that I care about continuing practicing and, and continuing learning. So really, I think the question is what, what won't I be trying right. to learn next after this book is done? Well, I, I look forward to, to reading about it cause I'm, I'm assuming you will, you will be writing about it uh, as you settle in on, on I whatever's will. next. I will try to do my yeah. best. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're, we're at the point where, 
uh, I usually ask a question that we ask of all guests, and I emailed you about this uh, ahead of time. Mm-hmm. In, in your case, it's 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 kind of a loaded question. It's quite quite unusual because the, <laughs> you know the, the question is yeah. you know what what is one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an mm-hmm. adult since finishing your formal education. And obviously, <laughs> obviously this is like the heart of everything you do. So yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear how you answer that question. Well, uh, well, which one do you want me to talk about? I think, I think I'll talk about the language learning project that I did because we, we did spend a little bit of time talking about my MIT challenge project, although that obviously had a huge influence on me. But the language learning project, just to continue with my example, when I met Benny Lewis and I was struggling with learning French, um, I do feel after I had that encounter with him and I changed my method a bit, I did reach an okay level in French after spending a year there. But I really left with this feeling that much more was possible, that if you didn't let an English bubble form around you, if you just only spoke in the language that you were trying to learn, you would quickly habituate everyone around you to just speaking in that language or at least accepting that you're going to speak in that language around them. And so uh, I managed to convince this friend of mine. He was actually my roommate at the time and he was pretty skeptical, but I convinced him to join me on this trip. And we went to Spain, Brazil, China, and Korea to apply this no English rule uh, to each of these places for about three months each in each country. And I got to say that it was transformative for me, not only because I felt after three months in Spain, our Spanish was much better than my French was after a year in France. But the surprising thing was, is that this approach was actually easier. And so the difficulty of understanding that I think comes from most people view the first like week or two of total immersion because that is difficult. But what they don't recognize is when you do partial immersion, there's always this starting and stopping. And so the metaphor that I really like that uh, someone else brought up in one of these other conversations I've had is that it's a little bit like diving into cold water versus having someone splash it on you repeatedly. Mm. That yes, diving into cold water is cold for that first few minutes, but then your body habituates. Whereas if you get splashed with cold water repeatedly, every splash hurts. And so I think Often when we are dealing with learning, especially learning hard skills, frustration and fear and difficulty and all these emotional things can really overwhelm us. And if you have this start, stop, start, stop, start, stop approach to it, uh, you often don't get over that. You, you often still have that resistance to doing it. Whereas when you approach it with an ultra learning project, whether it's immersion or just diving right into whatever you're doing, um, you get that exposure therapy, you habituate to whatever the difficulty is, and then you get to the fun part where you are actually improving. And so when we were on this trip, yeah, we were studying hard and we were learning hard, but we were also living our lives in these other countries and experiencing these other cultures. And it's an experience I would highly recommend everyone try if they have the opportunity to take a couple months to, to, to travel or live somewhere. It's truly life changing, but I think it's something that more people should try. Well, I, I was envious when I read about that one in the, in the book, uh, being both a lover of languages and a, and a lover of travel. So uh, uh, kudos to you for, for doing that and for, for having the opportunity for doing that. And of course, you share more stories like that from yourself and from many others in ultra learning. So you know, definitely, definitely recommend that listeners get that. Um, if, they, if people listening want to know more about you, uh, you know, the, the work you do in, in general, and of course, about the book, um, where, where's the best place to go? So I recommend going to my website, which is scotthyoung.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-H-Y-O-U-N-G.com. Uh, I also have links to the book there if you're interested in buying it. The book is published by Harper Business, so it should be available in all retail locations. 
if you want to uh, get it on Amazon or something, if you just Google Ultra Learning, it should show up for you and you should be able to get the book. Uh, there's also an audio version of the book, which I narrate. So I know a lot of podcast listeners prefer to listen than to read. So if you want to just continue listening to me talking about learning and how to do it better, then uh, that would be what I'd recommend. That's so nice that you got to narrate your own book. I, I didn't. I was, yes. not, I was not even offered that option. So that's. Uh, I, <laughs> oh, I think I, I think I would have preferred I had to fight it. For it, but I got it. Yeah. Uh, good. Good for you. Well. Well. Great. Thank well, you. Scott, this has just been a a, a fascinating conversation. Uh, you do fascinating work. Again, I definitely thank highly you. recommend that folks get the book. And um, thank you again for being a guest on the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That concludes the interview with Scott H. Young. You'll find show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 198. And when you check out those show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it, it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And we'd be truly grateful if you check out our sponsors for this quarter. Find out more about Authentic Learning Labs at leadinglearning.com slash authentic, and find out what Com Partners has to offer at leadinglearning.com slash compartners. Finally, please tell others about the podcast. You can send a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook and share us there. You can find us at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning. However you do it, please spread the good word about leading learning. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.